Welcome to The Lorraine Murphy Show. If you're anything like me, you want a successful, abundant business, epic energy, a growth mindset, vibrant health, and beautiful relationships. And this podcast sets out to help us achieve all of that together. I've been in the entrepreneurship arena for almost a decade now and have mentored hundreds of other business owners. So I know what goes on behind the scenes and what it takes to succeed. This podcast shares the tips, tricks, learnings, and lessons I lean on in order to blend the different facets of my life as an entrepreneur, author, wife, and mama to two gorgeous little humans. Let's jump in to today's episode. Hello, Brooke. Welcome to The Lorraine Murphy Show. Thank you so much for having me, Lorraine. I'm excited to have this conversation. And I was just thinking, you know, it's not a miracle, but it's strange that you haven't been on the show yet because you and I... You've been an, a mentor of mine for, for many years and, and we've spent a lot of time together over the years. So yeah, I don't know what brain fart I had that I hadn't invited you on the show yet. So I'm excited to do this. You have lots to offer. I know. I almost feel like I have been on it because I listen to it yeah. all the time. So I have a little, in, and I've told you this before, but I have little conversations with you all the time while I'm yeah. on my warning walk. So. <laughs> you would be amazed how many people tell me that. I just had a new mentee sign up. We started working together last week and she said, even from the first moment, she, we, we said yes to doing it together. She said, even since then, it's almost like there's I mean, little software installed in her brain where she's experiencing a challenge. She goes, I wonder what Lorraine would say. What would Lorraine do here? So yeah, the hidden value of mentoring with me is you never get me out of your head. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So good. So we are talking, my dear, today about content and copywriting and how we can really do the very best we possibly can in terms of how we can present and communicate our brands to our broader stakeholders within our businesses. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about your background and your business, just so people know who in the zoo on the conversation today? Sure. So my name is Brooke and I run The Contented Copywriter, which is a content agency and we help all sorts of businesses across Australia create incredible stories and use words to really power their brands. And we consult on strategy and SEO to those companies as well. Amazing. Thank you. And how long have you been going? Remind me. So I started the business seven years ago. So I'll always remember it because I started it just a few months after my eldest was born. So <laughs> the two dates are permanently fixed in my brain. So the real baby came first and the business baby, baby was number two. Exactly. Very close after. Yeah. And just in terms of your background beforehand, so you were a marketing director. So you we're kind of sitting within major brands and and then what was the kind of the the stepping off the jumping off point to come and start your own business yeah so i'd always i'd always worked with words so i started off my career at working at magazines like Harper's Bazaar and the Australian Women's Weekly, worked in comms for many years. I feel like you and I had had that kind of synergy, that London agency, you know, communications experience. And then I went in-house and worked for brands like David Jones and Sheridan and Pass Bailey and headed up their brand marketing teams. And when I stepped away and had my daughter, there was this moment where I sort of fell into doing, to running the agency and, and doing what I do. But there was this kind of moment where I realized that actually words and the crafting of stories was something that was baked into me, you know, since, and it, it was the kind of thread that pulled all of those career experiences together. And in fact, if I think about it, 
storytelling something that started way 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 beyond before that when I was a little kid and I used to all the other kids would be out playing in you know in playing outside and I would be inside writing stories furiously on my computer and I always dreamed of being you know being a writer and I kind of had this light bulb moment where I was like actually this is what I do and this is what I'm going to create so yeah I love that I love when people's businesses and callings really align so closely with what they wanted to be as a kid I think it's really something really special about holding that vision as a very small child and carrying it all the way through I'm really fascinated to see what Lexi does because she's she's very, very passionate about art. She's very naturally talented at arts and crafts. And we went on a, yeah, we went to Paris recently as we we're recording this and we had to see the Frida Kahlo painting. And when I researched this Frida Kahlo painting, they said that they had, the Louvre had purchased it. So we go to the Louvre specifically to see this painting. And then I'm like going through all the different, you know, categories of these and there's no Frida Kahlo. So anyway, they had oh. moved it to another gallery. So we had to go trekking across Paris to find this other. But yeah, I'd be really interested to see, you know, it's something that she has said from very early on that she wants to be an artist. So I love that you had that vision for yourself and, and you made it happen. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah. And I don't think it was ever that intentional growing up, but I think that's the lovely thing you see with your own kids and, you you know, and you might almost see that for her. And then you see if she kind of circles back around to it. It's kind of, yeah, beautiful if she can keep that flame alive. Yeah, I hope so. That's our job, isn't it? No pressure. No mm. pressure, Lorraine, and way exactly. to do that. <laughs> and I love that you touched on that, that you used to love writing stories because I know something that you were very, very passionate about is the fact that every brand is a storyteller and how we need to be able to tell our own, the stories of our own brands. And I think storytelling is one of those phrases that's been thrown around a lot, maybe over the kind of last five to eight years. I know for me, when I was in, and running my first business, the talent agency for social influencers, that storytelling, we really saw the influences that we represented as being a voice box for the story of the brand. Can you just, in a really simple way, summarize what you see storytelling as in the context of content and marketing and copywriting? So storytelling is really the heart of how we connect with each other. I mean, I think, as you say, it's something that we all kind of bandy about a term and I think it's term it's something that all marketers and all brand owners you know we kind of understand the power of storytelling but we also don't necessarily know how to go about it and how and how to create it for ourselves and if we think about storytelling in you know its simplest form I mean we've often heard of that description of you know as humans we all grew up telling stories by the campfire and it feels really cliche but the reality is is that it's so baked into our humanness, this concept of telling stories that, you know, before we could write, we verbally and orally kind of told those stories and shared them. And the Irish have one of the greatest history of that oral tradition of storytelling, right? And really, if we boil all stories they down, they all come to a, a single thing. There's a hero. There's the central character in a story who discovers who has a problem or a goal, something that they really want to achieve, but they don't know how to do it and and the stakes really high, right? It could result in great success or it could result in great failure. And somebody comes along and helps them and points them to maybe something that they haven't thought of or helps them along the way in some way. And so we follow that journey and then we, you know, dis discover at the end was it success or failure. If we think about, you know, there's lots of books and lots of stories that have been, you know, written on that. I think, you know, story brand Donald Miller is one of the greats, Matthew Dick's story worthy. 
they all kind of tell that same narrative. And that's essentially what we can do to help brands, you know, to share their stories. You kind of take that essential narrative, that story arc, and you can apply it to so many things in the business. So, you know, that can be the story of your brand from start to to where you are now. It can be the story of your people. It can be the stories of how you serve your clients. It can be the stories of how your customers experience the world. And that's probably the most powerful, you know, if we think about things like testimonials and case studies and sharing those stories of what our customers are experiencing. They're really, really powerful. So there are so many stories that exist within our business and within our brand. And one of the great jobs that we have is uncovering them and finding them and and finding out the way to best craft them and share them in a way that's really considered and strategic and led us up to real business outcomes. Because it's so lovely to get carried away in this in the story. And that's really you know important that we all love the process of it, but it kind of it has to ladder up back to back to stories. Mm. Sorry, back to strategy. So yeah, really and also it needs to be reasonably not navel gazy. You know, I think that's probably a creative challenge totally. that you would manage with your team. Is how do you tell a brand story without sounding like you're just talk, talking about yourself and you know being quite me, me, me? So I think there's, mm. there's definitely an, an art to it. I think as you're sharing, I'd love to know because you you sit in Zoom meetings and meeting rooms and you have sat with you know many different sizes of business, whether it's big corporates or it's it's smaller business and obviously as a small business yourself. What do you see as the three biggest challenges that we face in marketing in this current climate, particularly, I guess specifically around copyright, copy, copy and and content? So I think what one of the biggest things, and look, this might be surprising and it also might be a related to many, is is that a lot of the point that we start working with a client is a point where they're kind of getting really frustrated because they don't have a content strategy. So they kind of know the importance. And this happens on all scales of business. Like it would floor, every, I'm sure everybody feels like, you know, understands the importance of having a content strategy. But despite that, it's something that doesn't exist in, you know, in an unbelievable number of businesses that are out there, very big and the smaller ones as well. And so, you know, essentially it's kind of navigating the priorities of and balancing out the desires of that business and what those goals are and what they want to achieve. And then, you know, how do you marry that with the voice of the customer and what the customer actually wants and what they want to learn and understand? How do you clear out the noise of what the competition's doing and, you know, and really understand that? And then what's the broader context of what's happening in the world from a trends perspective and how are things evolving? So I think, you know, marketers really and business owners just feel really overwhelmed with like, where do I begin? There's just so much, there's so much going on. There's so much pressure and there's so much pressure to just pump out the content all the time because we know we've got to be out there and we've got to be on the socials and we've got to be sending the emails and we've got to be doing all of this, but it's all kind of being done without that strategy that, and strategy really at its best is just, is wayfinding it's going okay these are the things that are important to the business and this is what the customers wants and asking for and this is what's happening in that broader competitive and trends-based content and this is how we should move forward through that how we should navigate through that 
So that's really, you know, I guess the biggest challenges is that there's lots of noise and lots of stress and lots of overwhelm, but there's not really the, you know, the kind of strategy to sort of help them navigate through that. Mm. I love how you describe strategy as wayfinding. I've never heard it described as that before. I love that. Yeah, I think it's a hard thing to do and create, but I think that often we feel the pressure with strategy to be coming up with something new, but it's actually mm. just finding the way and articulating that. And I think if we remember that, it doesn't become quite so overwhelming. Mm. Yeah, there's an accessibility to it maybe that that wouldn't be there otherwise. I think the element that can be super overwhelming as well is just all the different channels. You know, how should we be showing up in each individual channel? You know, is the language that we would need to use on LinkedIn, for example, significantly different to how we would show up on Instagram? Is that different than, again, how we would show up if we created our own podcast or the sales page, the copy for a sales page? It's the volume, I think, is overwhelming, but also just the many different places that we feel we need to be all of the time is is overwhelming as well. You're so right. And it's fitting all that together, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got all the different channels of, of where you have to be. It's all different things that you want to be saying, you know, on a brand level, on a product level, on a service level. You know, there's a lot of, I guess, and that's the noise and that's the overwhelm. It's like, where do I start? Where do I mm-hmm. even begin? And how do I find my way through that? Yeah. So, okay, t- tell us more problems. As if the overwhelm wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing is, you know, is definitely resourcing and process. So essentially what, you know, off the back of that, we know that there's this demand, you know, where we feel like we have to be out there on all the different channels all of the time doing all of the things. Well, how do we actually make that physically happen? You know, in small businesses, that usually means there's one person doing all the things. Often that person has multiple other roles and multiple other hats. So how do they actually achieve that? And how do they do that? And with bigger teams as well, you know, essentially the bigger you get, the more content that you create. And so it becomes, you know, essentially there's never really an end to that, you know, capacity and that volume that you need to create. So that becomes that ongoing, you know, challenge of, okay, how do we resource this? Who do we work with? Who are the best people to help? And, you know, and a lot of it comes back to processes as well. What are the processes? And this applies to all businesses, you know, whether it's a small, like one person working in a small business who may may not have the budget necessarily to, you know, work with agencies or to work with other partners to get things done. What are the processes that I can put in place to streamline and make this whole, you know, content business faster, essentially? Yeah, makes total sense. Thank you. And any other big challenges that you see marketers facing right now, small business owners? Well, so there's a couple of, there's probably just two other ones. So if we talk about story, storytelling, most clients come to us because they really want to figure out how to share their stories. They either kind of know what they need to say and they want it crafted or they, you know, they kind of need help uncovering those stories or or feeding that into a content plan. But there is this sense that how am I going to get this over the line? Like I really, as as a marketer, you know, or as a business owner, I know that it's really, really important, but I've got to convince other other people or other Mm. investors that this is important as well. So what a lot of what we do is actually demonstrating how you can actually 
link storytelling back to sound strategy and back to results that are measurable and back to data so that there is that accountability that, you know, I think as marketers that we seek because everything has to be data-driven these days. Everything has to be accountable. Everything has to be measurable. So, you know, we kind of work with work with clients to find that sweet spot between the magic and 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 the stuff that everybody loves and those stories that grip you and inspire you and and make those customers want to champion your brand and 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 fall in love with you um but then how does that actually translate into actual results that we can measure and um you know and 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 justify that ROI yeah makes total sense I'd love to talk to you a little bit about brand voice because I find it's an area that a lot of us can get quite caught up on. And I think it's extra challenging for so so my business is a personal brand business, obviously. So the, the brand voice I have is it's my voice. Like it's the voice I write my books with, it's the voice that I write sales page copy for a new offer, it's the voice that I use for podcasts, it's it's my voice. But I think it's challenging if you are creating a brand that's not built around your personal brand. Can you just define what is brand voice? Like what's the technical term for how you define that? So essentially, if we think about if we think about a brand, we often think about like the brand personality and that's how we, you know, behave. Like if we were a person, what is the way that we would behave or, you know, how would we move through a room? Are we that person that's, you know, trusted and knowledgeable or what are those personality traits? Are we refined? Are we confident? And a brand voice is really, you know, the spoken or written manifestation of that. So essentially it's, we often talk about tone of voice and the reality is, is that you can, and there's a nuance that is different between the two. So you could have um, one brand voice and you could actually have different tones of voices that are within it. So if you think about, you're talking about different channels, for example, we might have one overarching brand voice, which looks and sorry, which sounds, you know, a lot like this. And then we might have different tones, for example, for LinkedIn, which might be slightly more professional. Instagram might be, you know, softer and, you know, you might sink into the the captions and, you know, sink into the storytelling a little bit more with that. You know, Facebook might be a little bit more call to action-y. So, you know, a little bit more direct. So you can have little different tones of voices that you flex. But the brand voice is that kind of unique way of speaking that or writing that makes you unique and different and stand out against all the other brands that are in your space. I love that. Thank you. Do you think it's important that we actually sit down and and articulate what our brand voice is? Or is it okay for it to be quite organic and just how we want to show up on any particular day? I think that in the beginning, Organic is great. Organic, when you're very first starting out and you just need to be out there as much as possible, taking that kind of approach where you just get it out there and, you know, do first and think later. I think there's a lot of value in that because I think as, you know, business owners, we can kind of, especially, you know, in a very small business or a startup, we can get really hung up on things like imposter syndrome and, you know, and I'm analyzing this post, you know, for 20 minutes before I actually hit publish because I'm so worried about what people are thinking. I would actually say when you're in those really early stages, you don't need to think about your brand voice. But the moment that you start to think about, do I want to scale? Do I want to grow? Do I want to connect with, do I want to build a business 
where people are connecting on multiple levels through multiple products or multiple services, that's when you start to need a brand voice because it's almost impossible to scale without a consistent brand voice. And I see businesses of all sizes, they just, they they are walking or crawling so much more slowly than they should be because they don't have a clearly defined brand voice because they don't know what's the unique way that we write. How does that stand apart? So they, so things take so much longer than they should to write. It gets really, people get really bogged down in endless rounds of revisions because nobody can agree on what that tone of voice looks like. And it just becomes clunky and efficient. Whereas a set of guidelines that are well-crafted and introduced in the right way throughout a company just frees up so much capacity and productivity for teams to actually just be able to sink into the writing and spend less time in talking about should we have used this word or that word or do we use contractions or do we use conjunctions? You know, it just could all. I don't of even know what they are. are You're panicking around. me. Yes. I think it's a good yeah, point. Yeah. You know, if you do have, for example, you're in a situation whereby maybe you've got a business partner in the business with you, or you are sitting in corporate and you've got multiple people of the, you know, members of the senior leadership team who need to agree on the language around a new brand or the existing brand. I think getting really clear on your brand voice is a great way to get that clarity about the brand as well, get that alignment. Like you say, then it just eliminates that need for that, you know, back and forth on that. It can just be, okay, well, let's get on with the job at hand now that we have the clarity of who we are and how we're showing up. Do you have any mm. suggestions on how we could go about actually defining that brand voice? Like key, key questions we would want to answer in order to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of stepping stones, there's kind of three key processes that you go through to get to that brand voice. One is understanding who you are as a brand, what your values are. Values are actually really closely linked to Mm. brand voice and you can draw out a lot from that. Yeah. Things like what your brand personality is, what your brand purpose is. So really understanding your brand is really, really important. Understanding the customer. So looking at what they're doing, what they're reading, the kind of, you know, the kind of experiences they're looking for. You wouldn't, if you sit down in a dinner party and you're sat next to somebody you don't know, you know, there's in a very short space of time, you start to judge what, you start to ascertain what kind of person that they are and you sort of adjust the way you talk to them, you know. You wouldn't start, yeah, if you're a super corporate buttoned up person, you're sitting there next to a, you know, a relaxed farmer, you know, you probably, you want to find that even ground of things that you can talk about and the kind of language that you use together. You wouldn't keep both talking in this complete other you know, about about completely different topics that are random. So you look at what the customer is, look at what they're surrounding themselves with, the kind of language that they might like to, you know, be spoken to with and the kind of, you know, I guess, yeah, the kind of topics that they might like to talk about. And then you look at your competition as well and you look at what they're doing and think about how can we be different? You know, how can we stand out from all of that? How can we, you know, make sure that our customers, if they're choosing between all these things, can sit up and take notice of us versus them. Mm, Love that. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. So I'm really keen to kind of get this clear kind of early on, reasonably early on in our conversation, because I think copywriting is one of those things that particularly if we are running a small business, we feel like we should do it ourselves because it's, Mm. it's our baby. 
and we want to kind of imprint ourselves and our values and so on, everything, everything you've talked about into the business. At what point, and I've never outsourced, I've outsourced a little bit of my copywriting from a perspective of sending my books to a copywriter who I adore. And she's kind of like pulled out elements of it into kind of like little easy, easy to share Insta captions. But other than that experience, I've I've done all of my copywriting myself. But also I think I'm like you. I enjoy writing. I like it. It's not a task that I see in my to-do list and go, oh my God, I've got this. I actively look forward to sitting down and writing something. But I appreciate that not everyone enjoys writing. I know I've got one of my Bold Darling members who is an outdoor landscaper, for example, and writing is not her forte. And, and she procrastinated for years on redoing her website because the writing was getting in the way. All right. Long question. But what I want to ask you is, at what point do we think about outsourcing our copywriting? And at what point do we think about, okay, we should keep it with ourselves? Do you have kind of a spectrum that that you could talk us through that you would say, okay, if you're in this this situation, I would recommend you outsource copywriting? So... I think you actually just answered it. And oh, did I? Sorry. Simple. No, no, no. I think it's actually a super simple answer and it's when it's getting in the way. Mm. Because for you, you love it. It's a real strength. I think the process of doing it helps you think as well. Like That you know, is so people, true. Yeah, yeah. I think I a lot of people- I heard something on a podcast. Who was I listening to? It was Tim Ferriss and Seth Godin. Tim Ferriss was interviewing Seth Godin. And I can't remember which of them said this, but they they quoted an author. This guy had said that he writes to think. I feel yes. like when I write, it makes sense of my thoughts. So yes, I get what you're saying. That's cool. A hundred percent. So it's something that you get a great amount of enjoyment from. Mm. It's something that helps you. And I believe that it actually helps you be more productive because you are able to instantly translate a thought into your different programs and your content that you create and your next book. And, you know, you've got this. So it's very helpful and productive to you. But I would say that you're, you know, probably fairly unique and that with most people, it gets to a point either, and that can be right at the beginning when yeah. they are trying to like they're trying to figure out what do I put on my first ever website page I don't even know where to start and they procrastinate on on creating a website because you know for years because it just the thought of even finding the right words just feels so overwhelming right through to when you're a you know big corporate organization and you might be filled with marketers who can sort of like most marketers can write but it takes them longer and it takes them away from doing the things that where they're really going to add value so it's more efficient for them to hire a copywriter or hire an agency to do that work because so that they can spend the time doing things that are going to make greater impact so I think that that applies it's sort of you know, it's whenever that's holding you back. And sometimes that can be right at the beginning and sometimes it can be somewhere in the middle. And sometimes, you know, again, it's having a copywriter sit within a business is actually a relatively new thing. That's mm. only really the last five-ish years that's become a, a resource that sits within a team. So, yeah, it's really powerful. And I think that's because people have really realised the volume and the velocity of content that they can create if they have a specialist doing the actual work yeah. and so that they can get out of the weeds. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I just kind of to finish off that story. So I had my bold darling member and one of the blocks that she showed up in one of our live mentoring sessions was that she had this website. She actually put it on her quarterly plan 
It was in her January quarterly plan. So we do quarterly planning every quarter with, within the Boulder Island Group and it didn't get done. So kind of we got to the accountability piece at the end of March and she said, you know, it's still not moving. And I said, you know, what's the block? And she said, I'm just not confident about writing. I'm not a good writer. And so I suggested to her to, to draft the content herself as in what the really bare bones of what she wanted to say in each page of this new website and then to engage a copywriter to review it and polish it essentially. And that ultimately got her unstuck. She got the website live that quarter and she was so proud of herself. So I think you and I are quite aligned, Brooke, on this. It's if you find that not being able to write or not wanting to write or not having the time to write is holding you back, then that's the time to tap someone to come and support you. I would really love to talk to you about AI as well, because it's, of course, right now in the business climate we're in, we're talking about it a lot. It seems like every business influencer I follow, every trainer I follow has got something that they're offering in terms of how to work with AI. How do you see AI supporting us when it comes to creating content within our businesses? So, you know, I think the exciting thing and the slightly irritating thing about AI is still so new. And Mm. so therefore, nobody really knows enough about it yet. You know, I think even the people that are, you know, air quotes experts, they you know, there haven't been enough runs on the board yet to say that anyone is in particular. So, you know, it's very much a moving, you know, a moving beast. But what I would say is, is that there are I saw a really lovely diagram actually by Anne Handley, who's a really good writer. And it was this list of like how, how AI helps us and how, and what not to use AI for, you know, and essentially there's some really, really great ways that we can use it. Things like, you know, things like research, things like pulling together a lot of information, things like getting it to explain, you know, complex ideas, things like asking it for ideas around FAQs. So say you've got a website, say you've got a website and you think adding some FAQs may help your customer make a decision about something or inform them better about something. It can do, it can pull together some really great FAQs on any given topic, which you can then draft the answers for, or you can prompt it to draft the answers for, and then you can personalize. So it's great for headline ideas. You know, it's great for ideation. You know, we'll often, you know, at the start of like we're developing, you know, at the start of a content ideation session, we'll actually do our own ideation and then we'll ask AI, give AI the same brief and see what it comes up with. And sometimes it's really great. How has that gone? What have you noticed during that process? So there's a lot of really bad ideas, but so too do humans have a lot of really bad ideas. So true. (laughs) And that's a good thing, right? Bad ideas are a really good thing because you have to go through the bad ideas to get to the good. So, you know, but the role of us as humans is to judge whether something is a good or a bad idea. And that's what AI can't do. It can't tell you what the best idea out of those 10 that it just suggested. Like it doesn't have that critical functioning. So, and that's where the limitations, you know, essentially kick in. There's things that AI, you know, doesn't do so well. So for example, it can write some really good, you know, reasonably well put together content, but it can't write it in a brand voice that's, you know, that sounds like you. It can sometimes, and certainly there are prompts where you can kind of get it to, but you have to do a lot of work to get it to that point. And so, you know, the trade-off, the question and the trade-off is always, you know, well, if I put this much time into trying to get it to do that, potentially we could have just written it to start off with. And I think, Brooke, you've made a really good point there. You know, 
around that almost like that discretion piece that humans have that AI doesn't doesn't necessarily have. And I love that we had that conversation about brand voice because your brand voice as the content 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 contented copywriter is going to be very different to my brand voice as as Lorraine within my business. It's going to be very different to you know the business two doors down the street. So I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's to it's almost like we need to be extra cognizant of what our brand voice and is and how almost like what's the sandbox? How do we communicate as a brand? Because that then becomes almost that filter that we will apply to anything that we create ourselves, but also anything we're asking AI to do as well. Mm, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's where AI gets really powerful is if you have a very clear idea of who, you know, who you are as a brand, what your, you know, exactly what are the messages that you need to communicate, what's your content, like what are the things that you want to, you know, what are the things that you want to communicate it can help it can help kind of with the basis of some of that content like to create it or to come up with you know and you're going to get a much better result from it than if you didn't have all of those building blocks in place because the reality is is that a lot of the content is very very generic and not really nuanced in a way that you actually will you actually need it to be in order to cut through so it's really good as like a proofreader so for example if i'm a small business you know and i've drafted something and like you know what what potentially you know your client might have done is that she might have taken her website copy and actually put it into ai and said can you polish this for me it would have been really interesting you know and maybe Maybe it still didn't feel quite right, and that's then when you turn to a copywriter. But, you know, certainly, and I probably wouldn't recommend that for for homepage content, but certainly if you're writing maybe, you know, an email and it's not quite sounding quite right, try running it through there and saying, can you help, you know, can you proofread this for me? And it might actually come up with something decent. You have to check it and you have to make sure that, you know, Mm. there's problems in terms of, you know, we always say this, that there's problems in terms of duplicate content out there and, you know, and yeah, of course. I had incorrect sources. And yeah, there's lots of problems with like incorrect sources. It doesn't reference material mm. and, you know, properly. And sometimes things can be inaccurate. So you have to check things a lot. But for, for a simple proofread or something like that, like it's actually really useful. Yeah, I didn't actually realize that I was on a mentoring session this morning with one of my annual mentees. And she was saying that part of her business is she creates grants and she does grant proposals. And she's actually, yeah, been proofreading them. She'll proofread them herself, but she'll also use AI to kind of just mm. check for grammar and check for, you know, is there a better way of saying something? And she said, yeah, it's been really, really helpful. So yeah, that's good to know. And so I think when we talk about the brand voice piece and knowing who we are, it just means, I guess, that we're insured against losing losing touch with who we are. As, when I say we are, I mean, as, as a brand, if we are going to use tools like AI or even, you know, using an external copywriter because they also don't know. It's almost like our role needs to be the, the mama bear or the data bear of our brand and make sure that whatever is making it out there into the public domain is very much aligned with our brand voice and how we would want to be presented as a brand. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, consistency you know, there's sayings about it. Like you can, a lot of success is just repeating the same things over and over again and, you know, incremental improvements, but repetition is incredibly important. So consistency of message and saying this, uh, saying things in the same way all the time helps to 
cut through to build that connection. And if we can define what that is and we can get really specific in terms of when we create brand voice guides and things like what that is and what that isn't, then we've got a greater chance of of having that consistency and therefore standing apart. Yeah, I love that. So good. Now, I know a big motivator for a lot of people for investing, whether it's their own time or investing money and time in managing an external copywriter is the value of that copy has for SEO. So if we've got relevant copy on our websites, then it enables us to be higher up the the Google search rankings. And I know this has been an area that you've been really focusing on and you're getting epic results for your clients on in terms of, and you and I have talked a lot about, you know, that trade-off sometimes that we feel like we have. If it's good SEO copy, then it doesn't actually read very well. Like it's kind of like it's being done for Google rather than for the person consuming it. And or else if we're doing it to be a nice user experience, then maybe it's not actually ticking the SEO box. And I think that's something that you are really nailing as a team is how you create copy that is really enjoyable for someone and educational and formative and all the things, but it's also really rocketing your clients up the up the SEO rankings. Can you just speak to that for a minute? You know, why copy should be something we're investing in to to really help the SEO for our websites and how we do that. Yeah. Totally. So, I mean, if we think about our websites, you know, the kind of the core function of them is to draw people in and then convert them to doing something. So, you know, that conversion might be signing up to a newsletter, it might be buying something, or it might be, you know, or it might be informing and connecting. So there's lots of different roles that a website can play, but ultimately we want to and we can use it as a tool to draw more people to us. And that's the power of SEO. It's essentially, you know, writing the copy in in a way that Google, those little bots, can crawl through it and to decide whether this is good content that's going to be really helpful for the audience or whether it's not great content and in which case I'm going to you know, push it further down on the ranking. So we all know that when we type our search into Google, we ideally want to, you know, we want to be appearing on that first page, ideally be in those top few results, at a minimum be on the first page. And then because everything out after that, we all know ourselves, we don't really click on and go to, you know, page after page, we just look for the top answers. And so, If we can make sure that our brand is on the top page or in those top views, we've got a much greater chance of people clicking on us and then arriving on the website and feeling, you know, interested and engaged and inspired and wanting to buy from us or sign up for that newsletter or do whatever it is that we want them to do. So that's why, you know, I think it's a perfect blend of art and science, you know, Mm. because we can ultimately the science is making sure that the keywords are featured in a certain way and that, you know, the technical side of things is done in the right way so that, you know, the Google, so that the Google gods can find us and rank us accordingly. But when they land on that page, they've got to feel that, you know, that magic and they've got to feel that sense of connection. And that comes from great art. That comes from the craft of really, really good quality writing. So it is possible to do the two. And, you know, we've seen some really amazing results from our clients doing that. So, mm. yeah, it's a pleasure to see. And the, yeah, and I know that that art and science blend is, is very much the secret source of your business. Is there any just even like a little clue that you could give us as to how, how you navigate that or even just a question we should ask ourselves when we are creating content, which is for SEO primarily, but also we want someone to enjoy consuming that content as well? 
Yeah, so I think a lot of it actually is the right selection of keywords, okay? So I know that sounds, you know, I could talk to you all day about the nuances of like how to weave it into a headline really effectively and, you know, how to exact, you know, how to pepper it through the copy and, and the little quirks of doing that. That's, you know, a whole other episode. But really, if we just are really, if we just think really carefully about the selection of keywords, it's not just about cho- like, you know, choosing things which seem like they sound like our brand. We've got to really think about what the customer intent is when they're looking for those keywords. So are they just looking for information? In which case, we've got to write them a really informative page that's really going to answer lots of their questions. Is Are they looking, you know, to just transact? In which case, we've got to get them to where they need to go on that page to buy the thing. You know, are they typing in buy blue denim jeans? In which case, show them the denim jeans that they can buy straight away. Don't muck around. Don't have long explanations. Just get them to that goal. So that's where it's really thinking about the intent, connecting it back to what they see on the page and crafting that experience for them and using long tail keywords as well. Often we go for the short keywords because they often have the higher search volumes. But if a customer is asking for a really specific question, and you give them a really specific answer, there's so much value and power in that that they're likely to respect your answer above, you know, above all the other brands that they've looked at. And they'll remember you and they'll come back to you and they'll buy from you. So mm. I think it's that thing of choosing the right keywords is really, really, you know, will almost make or break the content that you then write on the page. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Thank you so much. And I want to switch tack a little bit because I've gotten the 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 pleasure and the honor of sitting front row in your business for for a few years. And there's a couple of questions I want to ask you about how you have grown your business. Is there anything else though before we kind of move change, change tack? As I said, that you feel you would like to add in terms of copy and copywriting. No, I feel like I feel like we've covered some good ground. But obviously, you know, if anyone's got any more copywriting questions, the easiest thing to do really is to sign up to my newsletter. I do weekly. Um, I send out a weekly newsletter with lots of tips, which is beautifully it, written. I hope so. <laughs> but you know, I'm actually, you know, I also respond to emails that I get, you know, from people that are subscribing. So I'll often have people just pop in and be like, "Hey, you know, I've loved reading this." Can I ask you a quick question? And you know, I actually I love just being able to help and 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 you know and write a response to that. So if you do have Brilliant. any questions about it, feel free to just sign up to that and drop me an email. Thank <laughs> you. You're so good. And how do people sign up? Just go to your website, which I'll obviously include the website in the show notes as well. Yeah, easy. Yes. So yeah. I'd love to ask you because I know you and I started working together when I think Patrick, your little boy, second child was like nine months old or something. We've been we've been together for a few years. And and something I was so struck by was you shared, and I can't remember it now, and I wouldn't share it anyway, the revenue that you were doing within your business. And you were only working, I think, 10 hours a week at that time. And you really do strike me of you know the many mentees that I've gotten to work with. You are one of the ones that is the most on point when it comes to boundaries and when you want to show up in your business and when you don't and systemizing your business in order to really not do a huge amount of and not really do very little unnecessary work in your business. Can you just share a bit about how did you learn to do that? Because I think it's something that particularly as women, we can struggle with, you know, we want to be do the, the whole people pleasing gig, we want to look after all the people and keep everyone happy. 
where did you learn to be so so good on boundaries and and to to maintain them as well? Because I think it's easy setting them; it's not so easy to maintain them. So I think there's two places. One is your books, honestly. Oh, thank um, you. So- <laughs> I wasn't fishing for that, I promise. <laughs> no, 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 no. So long before we started working together, I had read your books and I'm a big believer is you you read a book and you implement, if you implement one thing, then, you know, then then you've gotten more than your money's worth, you know. So, mm, I, so I always try to find what's the one thing that I'm going to implement from this book. And with yours, I implemented many. And, you know, prior to setting up the business as well, I'd done... I got sent on this really amazing like leadership development course and it was all about really finding your purpose, right, which we all know about purpose, you know, we all spend a lot of time talking about it. But but what it really, we spoke a lot about the loftier purpose that drives us and then we also talked about, you know, the business purpose and we talked about whether that align, like do the two align. And there was a lot of work that we kind of did to go, okay, if it doesn't align to that, business purpose like what are we doing it for and that was kind of a concept that that kind of planted the seed that really helped me start to put up boundaries it's like like when at work when I was in you know marketing leadership and you know the next big idea came it really gave me that yardstick to go well what are we doing it for is it laddering up to this is laddering up to this goal well no then it's a nice to have so I'm going to deprioritize that and I'm not going to work on that. And so that just became the kind of mantra. And then I feel like then stepping away from that. And one thing I will say is what I noticed was that it actually worked. So I was a chronic overworker. I worked nights. I, you know, work myself into the ground. I burn out all of those things. And I had a boss who was an incredibly, an incredibly amazing woman. And we, you know, still work together today. Phenomenal woman, but she works her teams really hard. And what I found was that when I started implementing boundaries in the right way, she actually responded better than I ever would have believed. And so I was like, well, if I've gotten her, like if I've managed to achieve this with her, I can achieve this with anyone, you know, (laughs) she's a tough cookie. So, you know, it really made me realize, okay, it's possible. And then when I started to read, you know, your books, I felt like you gave me the tools to actually practically manage that in business and in life. So it was really about going, okay, this is what I want to achieve. Is this important? Is this not? Is this task something that's in my zone of genius or is this something that's not? And if it's not, then I'm going to outsource it. I'm going to get somebody else to do it. So it just made me really quickly put those fierce boundaries around my time and anything that didn't kind of fit those criteria, then they just wouldn't be done. Mm, That's That's a really really long answer. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. But what was that question you ask yourself again? Does it like, I guess in a nutshell is what's the point? <laughs> like, yeah, it, yeah. does it ladder? Does, like, you know what I mean? Like, does it ladder up to the goals and the vision that I have for myself and the business? So if I think about when you talk about those 10 hours, and I'll just say that this, I guess, in a more applying it to a more practical situation. So with those 10 hours in the business, I had decided early on that I wanted to spend as much time with my daughter as I possibly could, right? So when she was born, I wanted to essentially spend every moment that she was awake, I wanted to spend time with her. So that meant, and I had a good sleeper, and I would definitely caveat that 
not all, you know, not all babies are the same, but she was a good sleeper, right? So I knew that during the day she would, particularly when she was much younger, she would sleep for, you know, 20 to 40 minutes in the morning and then an hour and a half in the middle of the day and 40 minutes in the afternoon. And then eventually that all compacted and I might get three hours a day. And so those were my working hours. I was like, okay, so that therefore means that I have to cram as much work and make those times as effective as humanly possible. So that meant that during that time, I couldn't do any housework and I wouldn't do any housework. That meant that during that time, I wouldn't do any personal stuff. So I wouldn't, you know, answer a phone call from a friend if they called. I wouldn't go on social. I wouldn't, you know, there was no personal activity and I would work and I would break my tasks up into very small tasks. So it might be okay. I know she's going to sleep for, you know, X amount of time. I'm going to pump out a first draft and it's going to be horrible, but I'm going to refine it in the next sleep. Yeah. So I was just so hyper-focused on this is all I've got. And the fact of the matter is, is when you've got a baby, there's no better alarm clock because when they start crying, you have to stop what you're doing. Mm. And it's such a physiological response, you know, particularly when they're small. Yeah. It's like you, you can't focus, you can't think straight until the baby baby stops crying. It's almost totally. like, I don't know if you've come across the Pomodoro technique. It's a productivity yes. technique. Wade uses it. He's used it for many, many years. It's all like, almost like, yeah, a baby Pomodoro. Because I think a Pomodoro is 20, 25 minutes, I think. And then isn't the average sleep yeah. cycle like 24 minutes for a baby as well? So, yeah. Totally. So, yeah. So, basically, it's, your little girl trained you, trained you in boundary setting. Totally. And so then, you know, things changed over time. Like, obviously, you know, I had another child. And so, definitely, there was no way that that same routine was going to work once I had two kids in the mix. Like, you know, so we changed the way we did things, you know, and we had extra help and we had things like daycare and all those sorts of things. But the philosophy never changed in the sense mm. that I, you know, I would only have these hours and therefore I have to make them as insanely productive as I possibly can because I'm not I'm not letting that other stuff creep in and I'm not letting my work creep into the rest of my life as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, it's, as I said a couple of minutes ago in this conversation, I think it can be quite easy to set the boundary, but it's a different story to show up and make it happen consistently. And I think what you have done, I think you're such a good example of someone who has consistently practiced the boundary until it's become a habit now. Like it's just your way of working now. There's almost like there's no going back once you've kind of see, seen the benefits like you have. And I'd love to ask you, what's one thing that's exciting you in your business right now? Oh, we look, I love the journey of business ownership in the sense that it's always an evolving beast, you know, and I think that, you know, nothing ever stays the same. We are going through, you know, a really amazing growth phase right now. And we're really, and sometimes it just takes, and when we talk about things like brand positioning and brand voice, sometimes it just takes a tweak in the way you go, you know, something just lands for you and you just think, oh, and all the little pieces of the puzzle start to fall into place. So I've been talking about, you know, this art and science and this, you know, storytelling and SEO. And just this being able to share with clients how we're actually doing that is something that is so exciting. And 
clients are super interested in and I just feel like all the creative juices are just flowing around it so you know I've just brought on a new permanent team member and she's phenomenal and you know the rest of the team we're just refining our processes so I just feel like we're a lot of those little puzzle pieces are kind of falling into place and we're kind of full of really great creative energy right now mm, you really are I know you shared on a mentoring call last week that you're working the evening, but it's like, cause you're just so excited to work rather than you have to work. And I, I love yeah, that feeling yeah. and it's really exciting. And I feel like I live for that in my own business. Of course, that feeling where I used to, yeah, the stars are aligning and everything's, everything's on fire and it just feels really good. But also I live for it, just getting to see it in someone else's business. Like it's really, yeah, it's cool. Cause you get to enjoy all the excitement without actually having to do any of the hard work and then do the scary yeah, stuff well, yourself. So yeah, I'm excited for your business right now. It's really, really, really brilliant to see you just how much you're enjoying it, you know, how in flow you are. It's cool because I know it's been, you know, it's a seven-year seven year journey for you. So it's really lovely when you see someone break through to that next level in their business. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, I, as you know, I'm so appreciative to you of, you know, of, of all your support. You know, you, you've taken me from a few months ago. Things felt, the energy that I was feeling was completely different. And, you know, I almost feel like the week that we started working together was a significant shift and, mm. you know, and it's just felt like it's really skyrocketed from there. So, you know, I yeah. really value the time that we spend together and have spent together over the years. And, yeah, I'm just super, super grateful. I love it. I love it. And I just love you. You're such an operator. You know, you're the mentee that if there's an action list, like the next day I've got three emails from you going, I've action this, I've action this, I've action this. So I think like with anything, you know, whether it's mentoring or coaching or consulting or whatever, what you put into it, you get out of it. And I think you're someone that really does show up and you get a lot out of it because you put a lot in. So it's, yeah, I love working with you. And I've got two last questions for you, please. Kind of just coming back full circle back to copywriting and your brilliant area of expertise. Are there any resources and like influencers, podcasts, books, any directions that you would like to point people in the direction of obviously other than than your brilliant website and the resources that you have on there is there anything else that you would really put on people's radars if this is an area that they want to scale up on whether it's brand voice seo content any of the things so in terms of a couple of things if we're thinking about storytelling i'm reading so donald miller's story brand is a wonderful one for the craft of story and i think that helps any whether you're wanting to skill up on copywriting or just skill up on how to share, you know, tell your brand stories and how to position your brand in a way that is different. That's a really, really good read. Story brand. I'll pop it in the show notes. Story brand. Yep. Donald Miller. So that's a really, really good one. Their SEO, I mean, Kate Toon is fantastic and she does an SEO nibbles course, which is a really good entry into I know into SEO which is quite an inexpensive one and then she does a more comprehensive training as well so that's really good so that's storytelling that's SEO brand voice I've got a free voice guide on my website which is amazing thank you which is a really lovely indulgent you know if you like to want to spy on different brand voices that are out there yeah the oh you that's a really examples. good one that's great yeah thank yes you. yeah yeah I'll pop that in the show notes as well yeah. And look, we've talked about things like boundaries and habits and things like that. And, you know, like, honestly, you're, you know, get remarkably organized. Like I could literally, and I do, I go back and I look at some, you know, the things that you've, you recommend implementing things like those weekly meetings that I, mm. my husband knows that if we don't have a weekly Sunday meeting where we plan out our week ahead, then I am a very grumpy wife. 
Yeah. For the next week. And I, I feel like the whole week just feels it. like you're negotiating. You know, every single day is like, okay, yeah. who's doing what? It was, yeah. We're totally. actually in a phase right now of having daily meetings in our relationship right now. <laughs> yeah. And we've just moved house. So there's so many moving parts and just stuff we still need to tie up from Australia and yeah, all the things. And amazing. I'll pop all those resources in, in the show notes. Thank you so much. My last question for you is, what is one thing that you would like listeners to go do beyond today's episode? Well, other than jump onto my website and sign up to my newsletter to hear more from me, I would actually just love listeners to start wandering through the through the world and noticing stories mm. and noticing that framework because once you think about it, you know, the hero has a problem or something that they want to achieve and then a guide comes along and helps them and they either fail or they succeed and then there's an outcome. Once you see that, you'll start seeing it in almost everything you watch. Your next Netflix show. I went to The Little Mermaid with my daughter, which I freaking loved that. The newest version as well, by the way. But, you know, that's exactly the formula that they Mm. use. And once you start thinking about it, you'll start to spot it and everything and you can start to connect it to some of the things that you can do in your own business, whether that's, you know, your customers' experiences, their case studies or their the experiences that they've had and how you as a guide have, you know, helped them and shown them, you know, a possible Mm. way. True. Yeah, it's a great way of telling a case study, isn't it? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So just start noticing stories, I think is one really helpful thing. Thank you. Good homework, teacher. And (laughs) my last question, I told a lie, my very, very last question. If people want to work with you, what are their options? So I know you do a, a training, for example, for corporates. What are people's different ways to work with you and your team? Yep. So corporates, I can run a training session on finding that perfect magic balance between storytelling and strategy, how to do mm-hmm. that. I run regular lunch and learns, which are open to any business to join. So if they sign up to my newsletter, they'll get notified or follow right. you know me on LinkedIn or Instagram, they'll get notified when that happens. That's a good way to start. And really, you know, if there's, you know, copywriting, SEO strategy, you know, brand voice strategy, brand positioning and it sounds like something that they would need help with just drop me an email and I'm always there to chat amazing thank you so much my love that was fun it's nice to not be mentoring today you're in charge today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank you so me. much please do remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't ever have to miss an episode I am always keen to hear your thoughts, questions, and requests for future topics on what I share here on the show. So please do reach out via my website, lorrainemurphy.com.au or connect with me on Instagram at Lorraine Murphy Mentor. I would also love if you could rate and review the podcast as it helps even more brilliant listeners like you find the show. Thank you so much again for listening this week.